Welcome to Wormhole Waffles, a Stargate podcast. Welcome to Wormhole Waffles. I'm your host, Chelsea, and with me is my co-host, Arzu. Hello. Last week, we talked about season four, episodes six and seven with a fan favorite. And today we're going to be talking about SG-1 season four, episodes eight and nine, the first ones and Scorched Earth. The first ones premiered on August 18th, 2000, was written and directed by Peter DeLuise. Scorched Earth premiered on August 25th, 2000, and was written by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully and directed by Martin Wood. We are finally getting the long-awaited further information on Una, so that I promised in season one. Arzu, would you please summarize these two episodes? It's so long ago, I didn't even remember what season these guys first came up. So the first ones is... We've got two things going on. So Daniel is kidnapped by an Unas mm-hmm. in sort of an ice planet barbarian scenario. No, that's not really close. Um, <laughs> no, it's not really that. Not, even, a, not even close. Um, so he's <laughs> kidnapped by an Unas and taken to parts unknown uh, where they are trying to communicate. And this made me think of a couple other things. Uh, meanwhile, SG-1 is looking for him and in the process are possibly infected by gold mm-hmm. in the drinking water. Uh, you thought dysentery was bad. And then... <laughs> scorched earth is a bit of like a moral question yeah is they're helping the i said it before i can't say it now in karen's in karen's they're helping the in karen's settle their new home only to find out that another race wants to settle there and their required terraforming will uh put the in karen's out of a home because they can't survive in that atmosphere so it's who gets to live here Okay, that's our quote reveal. Last week I gave you the quote, I think I've just been marked for death. And your guess was that Daniel is on another planet and has literally been marked for death. And you're exactly right. I think the way I had pictured this playing out played out a little differently. Like I was thinking of, um, I don't know if any of you have seen the show Timeless. I love it. I recommend it. But um, a couple of them were literally marked for death like on their faces. Yeah. And I was expecting that to happen. But uh, he was though. Was he? he? he got, yeah, he got marked with a gold blood on his face. Right. I just remember the marking on the wall. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I wasn't right. But then I'm like, no, I never specified. So I had this whole mental process. Going on. But, but yeah, um, he was like, he, yeah, he was smeared with blood. So yeah. So I wasn't exactly right. Yeah. Yay. Good job. Yay. <laughs> it's never going to happen again. <laughs> All right. So in the first ones, we open with Dr. Robert Rothman returning he is with Daniel. Daniel is showing off his archaeology skills. <laughs> or perhaps He's got to have like, some kind of skills. Although Rothman seems to think that he is jumping to conclusions, making assumptions about what happened on this planet without proper evidence. So maybe he's not as good of an archaeologist as he thinks he is. Well, whose evidence do we have to go on thus far? Daniel's. <laughs> right. So... <laughs> Yeah, they find a fossil of a gold queen that is several million years old. And they've done testing on all of the fossils that they found. And none of them have Naquita in their blood. So that's showing that that was not an an original part of their physiology. That's something that came about later on. No multivitamin for them, huh? No. (laughs) Just plain old snakes. <laughs> <laughs> Little snake. No vitamin. And so it seems like the addition of the Naquita in the blood must have come after the gold relocated to or immigrated, I guess, to another planet. Because the gold that are still alive on this planet in the water also do not have Naquita in their blood. So, Yeah, that would make sense. It's not like a... Well, no, I was going to say it's not an evolutionary necessity, but it is. It's just not evolutionary for this planet. Well, it just puts into question, what is it that the Nakuda in their blood helps them do? Is that something we're going to find out? I don't think so. Because, I mean, obviously they're capable of taking on a host without the Nakuda in the system, based on the plot of this episode that we're going to talk about. (laughs) But... I don't know, maybe they still have, like, a limited level of intelligence? 
And the Nakwoda helps boost their intelligence? Could be. I don't think we ever get an answer to this, so we're free to This is pure speculation. (laughs) Ooh, maybe the Nakwoda in the blood has to do with their genetic memory. What do you mean? Because all the gold that we know outside of this planet have genetic memory so that every child has all of the memories of right you know and And they carry it on from host to host to host yeah yeah but we don't really get any evidence to the contrary for this anyway i mean we can just make it up because that's true so yeah it has to do with the genetic memory (laughs) absolutely it's this canon that they didn't have genetic memory until they got Nakwa in their system. And that's what did it. Yeah. Canon. I'll do some hypothesizing on how they got the Nakwa in their blood. I'll get back I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> yeah, but come tune tune in next week for how the Nakwa got its groove back. <laughs> so Dr. Rothman and Daniel are doing their archaeology thing and there is a creature in the woods that we don't actually see yet that comes out and attacks one of the military guys, the members of SG-11, and drags Daniel off into the woods. Mm -hmm. And so that was our cold open. And so when we come back, we see that Daniel is being led by an Unas and he's like struggling to keep up <laughs> because the Unas has like much better Stand endurance. Up. Yeah. Either one. And they do finally like rest by some water and we kind of, so we kind of learn the name of this Unas is Chaka and because he's trying to meditate and I guess he's like using his own name and as his mantra for meditation. I just thought it was funny really that sure. Daniel kept yelling ka 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 over and over again. <laughs> well, through trial and error, Daniel figures out that ka means no and eventually learns that non means eat, which I find amusing because non is basically bread. the word for bread. <laughs> yeah. What I thought was funny, and this is just me dragging Daniel at every opportunity, was when he was being dragged and he was, like, exhausted, he just drops to the ground because yeah. <laughs> he just can't keep going. And he's like, he's like, rest, rest. It means rest. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> so glad you have a PhD in multiple languages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was saying that, too. But I mean, rest. to be fair, it like. Means rest, like. That's not even how you would explain a concept to somebody who speaks the same language as you. Right. But I mean, I guess in his defense, it's an entirely different thing to try to talk to somebody who's humanoid and speaks a different language than somebody who's non-humanoid. He's humanoid. Bipedal. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) He's bipedal. He looks like a dinosaur. (laughs) I would not call him humanoid, personally. I mean, they are capable of human speech which we know from the Gua'uld who invested the Unas but yeah, he looks like there's this episode of Star Trek called Darmok I've told you about it before actually we've we've watched it together before but he reminds me of Darmok which I think is the guy's name but that's that's who he looks like I don't remember that but cool It's, it's a whole episode that involves Picard trying to communicate with an alien that doesn't understand him Oh, I think, yeah, you showed me that episode when we were in school. Because I brought it up in class and yeah. our professor was shocked. And I'm like, please. But <laughs> he looks like he looks like the alien from that, which I thought was then funny that their whole issue was communication. communication yeah. <laughs> well, so Daniel is gets led to this water where he is allowed to drink out of it and Chaka instructs him to use his hands to drink rather than put his head directly into the water which Daniel eventually figures out why <laughs> he tries to run away like crossing the, the small pond and discovers that there are gold in the water gross <laughs> just love, love yeah. bugs in the water 
Yeah, and so Chaka saves him. He catches a gold midair as it's trying to jump for Daniel's throat. <laughs> and he rips it in half. And that's when he spreads the blood on Daniel's face. Right. Yes. Yeah. The blue Kills blood. a bug and then marks Daniel for death. Yeah. And yeah, so this was when I was talking about how earlier we saw a glimpse of the blue blood. And this is where I like... Note it's more prominent here that it's blue, it's less noticeable in the other episodes, right? So, Rothman was able to go back to Earth and report what happened. And so, SG1 and SG2 come through the Stargate to try to find Daniel and the rest of SG11. And it seems like the archaeologist camp is pretty far from the gate because it kind of got the feeling that they walked for like an hour from the Stargate to the camp where they were working. Could be. Because they were, I mean, it was quite a ways. It seemed like, I mean, there's several like scenes back and forth where they were like still walking. <laughs> so they really make use of this forest in Vancouver that they rented. They really did with the uh, CGI moons in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> I like that we both um, singled out the line, I met my father-in-law like this. When <laughs> Daniel and Chaka kind of learned to communicate over food. Right. So Daniel and Chaka go back to a cave. Chaka starts a fire and cooks the symbiote to eat. Yum. And, and so they're communicating about food. And yeah, <laughs> which is the same way that he learned to communicate with, um, oh gosh, what was his name? Oh God. Kasuf. Kasuf. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> it's the one thing for me to not remember. I can't believe you didn't remember. Well, I mean, he's not in very many episodes. He's in like three episodes. I know, but he's iconic. <laughs> he is iconic. And uh, so back with the SG teams, they stop to rest for the night and Jack asked Rothman if he thinks they, they only found one member of SG-11 and he's acting kind of weird and so Jack asked Rothman if, if he thinks he's acting weird too and I love Rothman's comment that he's not good with people because they're too recent <laughs> classic archaeologist that's very like not to make this about another show again but that made me think of Bones okay because she's an anthropologist, she deals in like I know she says she deals in a lot of current civilizations, but anything she talks about are like tribes from 200 years ago I'm like, humans in the here and now are too recent for her. Right, yeah. And that's what this makes me think of. <laughs> and so they finally discover that there are ghouls in the water. One tries to jump at Teal'c and he shoots it out of the air. And I was thinking... It, I mean, it was able to kind of glide through the air to try to jump. So it had kind of like wings a little bit. Not like full on like flapping wings, but like, you know, like a flying squirrel. Would yeah. Have. Am I misremembering it? They have like something here. They do. But right. I feel like the ones that we normally see are, don't have that much structure to them. They have like little fin things. Yeah, like uh, the fins that are like by their head. Aren't they kind of flappy? Am I thinking of something else? Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah they, but can, I, they can coast on that with but enough I momentum. Like the ones that we normally see are very small, whereas the ones in this episode were like full on glider wings that looked pretty big. And like in general, like when Chaka caught that one. And broke it in half. It seemed kind of large. Like larger than we'd normally see for a full grown symbiote. Maybe that's a function of their evolution? Yeah, maybe they got, they got slightly smaller after taking on hosts. Because they discovered that. I mean, at least with, with an Unos it wouldn't be an issue necessarily. But maybe transitioning to humans. There's not enough like physical space in humans' bodies to accommodate the slightly larger symbiote with the full wings on it. And so they kind of evolved out of some of those features. Yeah. They could have also just never expanded it. Expansion-wise, because that doesn't work. Like you said, it doesn't work with a human host. Yeah. But also, like, survival outside of a host probably necessitates features like being able to coast away. Yeah. On your little flappers. 
So yeah, evolution is fun. <laughs> I also guarantee you, the writers were not thinking about this. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like a little, but a like little. not this hard. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like when we've seen, we've seen a gold full term symbiote kind of flare. It's like almost like the equivalent of flaring its nostrils, but like flaring its fins when like um Hathor was holding one. Yeah. But I still feel like its little fin things were not as big as the one in this episode. So very possible. I don't know. Maybe that was just like a ease of design choice. I don't know. Could be. I don't know. Yeah. I think we definitely thought about it more than the writers did though. <laughs> well so in any case, Tilk ties everybody up because he's the only one who cannot be a gold and so he ties them up and pretends to go away on his own in order to try to tempt any possible gold of revealing themselves he's so which <laughs> which works the SG1 SG11 member that they had found that's been acting weird pretty much immediately revealed himself and like busted out of his restraints <laughs> and Till came back and shot it in the back. And so then he was taking off everybody's restraints. And then it turns out that Rothman had also been taken. And so they had to shoot Rothman. I was like, poor guy. He was just an archeologist trying to, you know, do his thing. He was having a good time these past three weeks. I mean, listen, he died on a dig experiencing yeah. the culture he was studying so <laughs> that's true what a way for an archaeologist to go that's true i guess die doing what you love yeah you know <laughs> really rothman was living the dream <laughs> so back with daniel and chaka they seem to have some kind of basic friendship going on but Chaka still takes him through the rest of the caves to meet the rest of his clan. Daniel had earlier made an assumption that Chaka was probably juvenile based on his horns, and that did turn out to be true because we meet the Alpha, and he has much longer horns. Yeah. And he looks scary. He's got, like, deep bags under his eyes. <laughs> Definitely to me. Oh, and this is the um, Chaka is played by Dion Johnstone that I mentioned. He was the one that played the body double for Apophis in the episode where they went to hell. Right. Yeah. Vaguely remember this. I remember the episode. <laughs> but I vaguely remember you mentioning this. Yeah. So Chaka was originally going to take Daniel back to be eaten, and he tries to convince the Alpha to instead adopt him into their clan and the alpha's like i don't know what you're talking about dude that looks like food to me <laughs> <laughs> and and the rest of sg1 managed to walk in right at that moment and so when the alpha is like charging daniel to kill him they shoot him instead and despite having like 20 bullets in him he manages to stand upright and look relatively okay <laughs> He took I mean, his multivitamin. <laughs> no, no. He had a necklace preventing him from ever getting a multivitamin. <laughs> the necklace is the multivitamin. Oh. Yeah. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> so Chaka takes advantage of it and pushes him into a pool of water and drowns him. So now Chaka is the new alpha. Good for Chaka. Yeah. So I guess me, Chaka, will now teach the others that humans are okay. <laughs> People are friends, not food. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're Jack, in which case they're a whole entire snack. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's true. Uh -huh. Sometimes Daniel. Okay. <laughs> when he looks like James Spader. <laughs> I think Michael Shanks is hotter, personally. But... <gasps> it depends on his hair. Mm. And he has to be wearing glasses. <laughs> I don't like him without his glasses on. Which one, Michael Shanks or James Spader? Michael Shanks. Oh, okay. He, he looks meaner with his glasses off. 
I do feel like he looks more personable when he has glasses on. Yeah, I'm telling you, he looks mean with his glasses off. <laughs> okay. Which is why anytime they want to do like Daniel is in an altered state, he takes mm. his glasses off. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> I feel like it's more like Michael Shanks taking any opportunity to not wear his prop glasses. <laughs> He's like, no, guys, in this one, I'm like angry. So I should take my glasses off. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. <laughs> so I guess the entirety of SG 11 is dead, along with Dr. Rockman. Rip. So that's not great. And this is the second SG-11 that had the entire team dead because the, there was an earlier episode in what season, was it two? That also had the Dion Johnstone in it where SG-11 was captured by the Gwul'uld and tortured and made to tell them all their secrets. And then they built that base based off what they knew to specifically train against fighting the Tari. Right. Yes. Yeah. So that was SG-11. So I guess they reformed the group with new people. And now SG-11 is dead again. So if I were in the SGC, I'd be like, there's no way in hell you're putting me on SG-11. Literally any other team. If it's the military, I don't think you get a say. I don't know. I'd I'd just be like, look, I either don't want to be on a team at all. (laughs) Just don't put me on SG-11. It's cursed. It is cursed. It's a cursed team. <laughs> and uh, we will see Chaka again. Yay! He's fun. He's a nice boy. <laughs> we'll grow well, up. I mean, he invited <laughs> Daniel to come back and visit. So yeah, we made a friend. And yeah. SG and Stargate SG One is for once paying off the idea of we should revisit this, and then actually revisiting it, right? What a concept. We don't get quite as many answers about the physiology of the gold as I would hope. But well, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to have all the answers. We're getting plot points revisited. Yeah. That never happens. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say never. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like this episode is pretty straightforward. Yeah. I kind of wish it had just been Daniel and Chaka. Mm. With like minimal SG-1 thing. Because anything that happened with SG-1, like the gold in the water and stuff like that, like is also happening to Daniel. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there was anything like new. Right. It was a little repetitive. Like it would have been fun if it was like a bottle episode and it was just Daniel and then they bust in at the end right. to save him. And then we, having spent the last 40 minutes with Chaka, feel a lot more attached to him than I think mm. we probably do. That's a fair point. Although I think the bit with the SG teams helped to show that the Gwulds native to this planet are capable of taking on hosts. Because it would have been like an assumption before. But that's an assumption I think we could have lived with. Yeah. Because especially if this isn't going to come back, like we didn't need to spend all that much time on it. Like just the fact that Gwulds are present... And yeah. one of them makes a lunge for Daniels is enough, I think. Yeah. That's true. But, like, it works as is. It's just, like, my wishful thinking. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about this episode? No. Okay. Moving on to Scorched Earth. So we open on to a planet with the Incarans, who were briefly mentioned two episodes ago. Remember when I said, like, they opened an episode with, oh, we're helping the Ankarans move to a new home world. And then it, it like it was just like a one-liner. Mm-hmm. And so here we this are now it. with the Ankarans. <laughs> okay, because this was ringing a bell. And I'm like, we, we've talked about this before. And then the yeah. lady, the main lady, looks in the camera. And I was like, we've never seen them before. I would have remembered no. those eyes. No, they were just mentioned in passing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the Ingarans are on a planet that the SGC helped them find. They have kind of a special situation. Their physiology, in particular, their eyes, 
are not adapted to a thinner ozone layer like we have on the earth like our ozone layer is thick enough for us but but not for them, but not for them. and apparently it's pretty rare to have like an ozone that's thick enough for them to prevent radiation from coming through and blinding them so the SGC managed to find a planet for them, but now there's a giant ship that is terraforming the planet, coming straight for them, and it'll be here in less than a day. So they're trying to figure out what to do, if they can stop the ship, or if they can relocate the Encarens again, except that they don't have anywhere to take them. So then it becomes kind of this big question of what to do with these people, and how to prevent them from being destroyed. Yeah. I think, like, this is jumping ahead to the end of the episode, but it's just something I was thinking about when we got there. Mm-hmm. They're like, they, they find the Incarin homeworld. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, we'll just take them back there. Where were they before that? They were on a planet that the Gould had taken them to. Which I think, which I assume didn't have the right kind of atmosphere. And they were, like, slowly deteriorating in their health, I'm assuming. But how long could they have possibly been there? Well, uh, probably a few hundred years. You know, I bet I bet that what it was was the Gould took them onto another planet. And they, we've seen evidence of the Gould making those big domes that protect people from the sun. Okay. Because we saw that in season one with the planet where the her ex sam's ex jonah was playing god right the first commandment it was episode five and there were like two suns or something like that and it was just like you couldn't be outside during the day and the gold had set up these two devices that pinged off each other and created like a dome that protected them from the sun right so So that's what happened I bet you they were on a planet like that, like a planet that the ghoul took them to and set up this dome for them. And now the gold are gone and they're able to leave, but they need someplace that can work okay. with their physiology. That makes sense. Because like my thing was, if they've been gone longer than like a couple months, mm-hmm. you know, if they've been there for generations, yeah, they should have like evolutionary wise, they should have either all died off or adapted. And that's where I was, like, fuzzy. I'm like, how did you not adapt to it? The Gould must have done something to help them. That that tracks. And like, maybe Gwold they had a... Yeah, maybe they had a similar dome system that either was failing and they needed to leave really quickly or the Gould took with them when they left or something like that. You just like don't that. want to live your whole life in a dome. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> so... This giant ship is terraforming this planet to become an organic system based on sulfur instead of carbon. I'm like pretending I know what that means. (laughs) Well, basically, it's really hard for us to conceive of any life not based on carbon. Everything on Earth is based on the carbon. I mean, essentially, if something is based off of sulfur... It probably does not require oxygen or at least very little and would have very dis- different like atmospheric conditions, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love to tell you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so the ship... I think what throws me is that the guy on the ship looks like an Incarin. So I'm like, I can right. visualize this. I think right. that's what's throwing me off. Well, so they they meet this guy that the ship created. So the, the ship is capable of creating carbon-based life forms because they create this person to be able to talk to them. And SG-1 goes up onto the ship and he shows them an image of what the people on the ship normally look like. And I think it looks like the Green Goblin with a tail. <laughs> yeah they're called they're called the gadmir and i mean they really do look like the green goblin <laughs> so you know 
green goblins don't breathe oxygen, apparently. You know, they're sulfur-based. They breathe something else. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> and we also hear a sample of their music, which is horrifying. Uh, I think he says this music has not been heard in a thousand years or ten thousand. I don't remember. He said a thousand years. Yeah. No, I think he said ten thousand. Okay, so I just wrote it down wrong. This music has not been heard in ten thousand years, and I wrote with good reason. Yeah, maybe you're right. No, no, their their civilization civilization lasted ten thousand years, but it's been a thousand years since they were alive. So yeah, okay. you're right. Has not been heard in a thousand years, and then like with good reason. Yeah. It and then terrible. he's like, it's because your ears aren't designed to receive it. And I'm like, sure, it's the ears. <laughs> Daniel is really nice about it and like plays along like it sounds great. Well, I mean, what else are you going to say to the psycho who like brought you over to his place and he's playing terrible music for you going, no, babe, like, <laughs> trust me. I made it myself. I mean, it's my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Like, what do you expect Daniel to say? <laughs> So this guy who, I mean, they call him a robot, but he's not. He's an organic life form created by the ship. He calls himself Lotan. And he basically, it was just made to send the message that the Incarans are going to have to leave the planet or be destroyed because the terraforming process started by the ship can only, there's only enough product, I guess you would say life forms <laughs> for the terraforming project to transform one planet so they can't just stop and go to another planet and start over again mm-hmm. and so Lotan is like well I'm sorry right. but y'all gotta leave or die so then it's this whole back and forth of you know Jack saying I feel responsible for these people because we've known them for months and we helped them move here and it's like, well, the ship contains the knowledge and building blocks to recreate an extinct people, and it can only be done on this planet. So it's like either the Gadmir or the Incarans can live on this planet, not both. And Jack makes the argument that the ones who are currently living on the planet should have the right to the planet, which I think he to agree with. He's right. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> like it it stinks that the Gadmir would not be able to recreate themselves, but, but they're, they're currently dead. dead. Yeah, they're currently dead. So they're not missing anything. Yeah. Jack kind of he, he tries to get permission from Hammond to blow up the ship and Hammond says no. So he kind of takes it into his own hands. And they had given the Incarans a Naquita generator for power. And Jack decides to order Sam to turn it into a bomb. Which brings up a whole kind of argument between our ship. But it's hot. Is it? Kind of. (laughs) Like... Because because they both understand what he is asking, and she does kind of see why he's asking that. Mm-hmm. However, she feels about it, she like gets it. Yeah. And then of course he's like, "You understand what I'm asking?" And she's like, "Yeah." He's like, "So you understand? I have to order you to do it." And I'm like, "That's hot." <laughs> <laughs> Getting all bossy and ordery and just really taken advantage of that power differential. (laughs) I was thinking if they were an established couple and he was ordering her to do this, I feel like it would be like she would do it but then when they got home that night she would tell him off. You know what I mean? She would rip him a new one. Yeah. (laughs) Like I I won't... I appreciate that he doesn't seem to want to pull rank but... At a time like this, like, you kind of have to. Yeah. So, I mean, it really is, like, a big moral question of, you know, is it right to bomb the ship and destroy that civilization? For the they were already America? destroyed, yeah. I would argue. Yeah. yeah. Well, but then it gets more complicated because 
Daniel goes back onto the ship with Lotan to try to get him to stop the terraforming and they have to, Jack has to detonate the bomb within a certain position for it to be successful. And so he chooses to start the detonation process when he knows that Daniel is on the ship. So he is not only blowing up or willing to blow up the Gadmir, but also Daniel. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one if it's time for daniel to go i know i talk about star trek (laughs) a lot if it was daniel's time to go then it was daniel's time to go is that something they say in star trek the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. oh okay i was thinking the the other part (laughs) if it's daniel's time no (laughs) if it's daniel's time to go just the needs of the many thing okay harsh listen i'm glad Mostly for your sake, that Daniel's fine. <laughs> I'm glad everybody got somewhere to live, but I, and I'm not just saying this because Jack is my favorite character, but I, I see where Jack is coming from. Yeah, People for sure. Who are already here and who have set up and are like getting all excited to like celebrate the birth of some kids or whatever yeah. outweigh the aliens in the computer who aren't even here yet. Yeah. I think. In general, I agree with Jack that the Incarans deserve to live more, but I'm not sure I could have flipped the trigger myself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have. I would have struggled with it, but I think, I think with a certain amount of detachment, mm-hmm. it's probably easier. Like I think Daniel would have had a harder time making that call. Yeah, but I think I think Jack has that kind of detachment. Yeah. Well, he's in career military. Hot. <laughs> also, to answer your question in your notes from the last episode, yes, him using military lingo is very sexy. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. Listen, I'm a simple woman. <laughs> so, Daniel talks to Lotan, who is able to get rid of the bomb. <laughs> But then they're still trying to find a solution. And Lotan talks about how they scanned something like 2,300 planets. Or, no, there was they scanned like thousands of planets and they, they had over 2,300 requirements for the planet to be compatible with their terraforming. And it just so happens that this is the only one that meets all of them. Yes, because one of the major things, I guess, was this specific type of ozone layer that this planet has. And so the second best option that there would have been for the ship, we figure out, is the Incarin home world. How convenient. Well, I mean, it has like the exact same kind of ozone, so... (laughs) No, I, just the fact that that was like the next one on the list is just right. the perfect planet for the Aquarians yeah. to go to. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you think about it, the Stargates are generally placed on planets with the right atmosphere for humans from Earth. Right. And we don't need such a thick ozone. So there's less likely to be such a thick ozone on the planets where the stargates are. And in fact, the Incarin home world doesn't have a stargate. Right. We don't need a thick ozone, but we could survive in, in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about the long-term effects. What that would be like. Less skin cancer. (laughs) Well, I don't know if there's some other kind of, life or technology that wouldn't function. I mean, it could be that a thick ozone would prevent like telescopes from being able to see through the atmosphere or something, you know? I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but it could be that it prevents, or you're like satellites from being able to communicate with technology on Earth. I don't know. I was gonna say that's like... Well, it's not strictly for survival. Yeah, that's like a future concern. Yeah. That like I don't know would have been at the yeah. time. But 
Yeah, it's hard to tell exactly how advanced the Karens are because they're only they're living in temporary shelters, which looks primitive, but they were building a city and they specifically use the word city. So not only that, but their textiles were fairly advanced looking. Yeah. That's true. Well, in any case, Lotan agrees to transport the Incarans back to their home world that they haven't been to in many generations. So I guess it's big enough on the inside to take hundreds, if not thousands of people and all of their stuff because it looked like they took most of their belongings too. There were only like a few small things left behind in the I shot mean, with that thing, that thing looked pretty big. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty massive. Also, it may not it necessarily be the most comfortable trip over. It also made me wonder, you know, we know the Incarnate Home World doesn't have a Stargate. So I wonder, I mean, obviously SG-1 needed to use this particular Stargate in order to go back home. But so it makes me wonder if Lotan picked up the Stargate from that planet to take with them or not. Because the terraforming project, I think, was going to destroy the Stargate. Yeah, because it was going to hit it. Right. Weren't they saying it was going to hit the Stargate before it hit anything else? Yeah. Yeah. So they probably took it with them. That's so funny They're like to think of them like packing it up and putting it in the cargo hold. Right. I mean, they never specifically say that. I just think it's a nice thought that they, you know, waited for SG-1 to go home and then picked up the Stargate and took it too. Yeah, because if if it's going to get destroyed anyway and they could use it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. That's uh, something we can also add to the canon. <laughs> it's canon. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Listen, they're not making new Stargate. So right now, there's like what? A couple of rewatch podcasts, including ours. And we're uh-huh. the most interesting. So whatever we, <laughs> whatever we say goes. And this is canon. <laughs> sure. We are Sorry, the no authorities. Everybody else. <laughs> I think there's like... 13 Stargate podcasts that are currently active, plus a few YouTube channels. We are in the top 15 Stargate podcasts. Yep. Absolutely. We are the most interesting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's true. Self-professed most interesting Stargate podcast. Okay. I'm fighting words. I'll put that as our tagline. Not self-professed, because everything we say is canon, so if I say we're the most interesting, that is also canon. Okay. I'm gonna get so much hate mail. <laughs> it's fine. Anyway. By the time this episode airs, Twitter is gonna be dead. So honestly, <laughs> like, okay, for those who don't know, I mean, a lot of you know we record way in advance. So yeah. whatever you're listening to has been like several weeks. But this week we went on hiatus because of the SAG AFTRA and Writers Guild strikes. So who we don't know when you're gonna hear to this. this. Yeah, it might like, be. It could August. be December. It's December, it's July right now, late July. Yeah, we don't know when you're listening to this. Like today's yeah. the day we learned that aliens are real. Oh, I forgot about that. I didn't. Yeah. Read it. What, what's the what's the? I news? got the highlights. Apparently, aliens are real. They've been here a few times. They've got some bodies apparently. What and some UFOs? Yeah, the U.S. does. And um, I'm not sure I believe that. By the sound of things, which I think would be very funny, um, the aliens come periodically, take one look at us, and go, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm very skeptical. I need to go. How, why did I not see anything about this on Twitter today? It was all over my Twitter today. Really? Yeah. Okay, I haven't been online enough. My friends were just really, concept. really into this concept of aliens. I need to see proof. As somebody I saw, they were like, you know, either we're doomed or these aliens are like the Vulcans and they can help us make things better. And I'm like, please be like the Vulcans because Vulcans are hot. Um, <laughs> I would say either help us or completely destroy us. No. In well, like no in between though, because like the in between would be like, they use us as slaves or something. No, I don't you know? want that. Yeah. We don't want the world. Help, help us or go away. Yeah. Like be like, they don't even need to destroy us. We're doing that ourselves. This is existential. I don't like this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's just like, if they're not going to help us get better, then they might as well leave us alone or completely destroy us, you know? Just leave us alone. Please. 
we'll destroy ourselves eventually exactly and if you're hot and look like mr spock um my number is no (laughs) you're aliens you know where to find me yeah they don't need numbers (laughs) yeah i'm like looking out the window like they're gonna show up (laughs) (laughs) hey you never know that's if you hear me screaming you know (laughs) i'll be able to hear you screaming from here yeah honestly without the mic okay so this went off the rails (laughs) all this to say don't hate me because i'm interesting (laughs) okay okay so happy day playing karen's who i keep wanting to i keep wanting to say in karen that like me too feels better in my mouth if that makes sense it does in karen sounds like karen yeah which is like a name that people have right yeah, I feel like Inkarin sounds more distinguished. I don't know. But in any case, they got to go back to their home planet. And they invited Lotan to stay with them there. Because he's made in the form of an Inkarin. And <laughs> they invited him and his response was, That is not contrary to my programming. <laughs> like, okay. Which is a long way of saying yes. So he gets to like be a normal human. So that's nice for him. I was wondering, do you think that Jack looked guilty at choosing to blow Daniel up? Yeah. I mean, yeah, as his friend. It's just yeah. he's making a... It's one of those things where you're making like the best call for the op, but yeah. not necessarily for you personally. Yeah. Daniel doesn't seem to hold it against him. So that's good. One comment that I really liked from Lotan was when they first were talking to him and Jack didn't like what he was saying and he was like, I want to talk to your boss. And Lotan was like, assumption of hierarchical command structure. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Burn! (laughs) Like you primitives and your command structure. And your hierarchies. Yeah. Oh, man. And also, we know that the Gadmir need this whole terraforming thing because they were wiped out by a superior military power. And I want to know who that is. Who destroyed the Gadmir if they were, like, so advanced? You know? I feel like Spider-Man. we occasionally get glimpses of a villain who is much, much stronger than the Gwold, but then never see them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, is it just that the Gadmir were in their same solar system, you know, and that's all they're concerned about, and they're not actually concerned about, you know, conquering the entire galaxy like the Glowold are? Yeah. What, you know? So, I don't know. I want to know what happened to the Gadmir. Let us know. There's no comments, but let us know. <laughs> Let us know on whatever social media we're yeah. currently on. Yeah, Twitter still exists on this I mean, blue sky or hive or threads or. I mean, Twitter is now apparently called X. I refuse. I'm not calling it that. That's <laughs> it's dumb. I'll call it eggs. Eggs? Okay. Just because it would bother him. So. <laughs> well, some people were were saying it's like if you spell it out like X and then and then itter to look like Twitter, but with an X, then you would pronounce it shitter. (laughs) (laughs) Which is apt for for what this site has become. Right. So if shitter is still active when you listen to this, you want to call it, let us know. (laughs) I do still have my Tumblr. I have not logged on to it in like three months. I, I mean, really I need to, need to clear notifications and then I close it again. Yeah, I really need to get back on that. I feel bad. Okay. Yeah. I think that's all we got for this episode. I think so. Oh, oh nothing problematic. You, so. you recognized the this actor, Alessandro Giuliani, was one of the Incarens, and you recognized him from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, he's the second Battlestar Galactica person I have recognized. I will acknowledge yeah. there were probably more, but he's the second one I've noticed. Yeah. And then I realized that I, because I haven't seen Battlestar Galactica, but I was like, I've seen him in something else. 
and he was in the chilling adventures of sabrina as dr c so for those of you who know that and for my barbie girlies among us he was in barbie princess and the pop where he plays julian <laughs> he's done a lot of voice work for like like kid shows and games and stuff he lives in canada it's not his fault there's <laughs> all this available here okay and before anybody gets mad at me i know i'm right and you're wrong so. <laughs> parts oh, on tv dear. shows or voice work like that's what you do he was also in smallville dr hamilton i don't really remember him from that and it's, i don't remember that character but that also helped explain why he seems more familiar than the other actors in this episode. Yeah. Alrighty, any final thoughts? Nope. I don't think there's anything problematic or that doesn't hold up for modern audience in these. They seemed fine no, to me. Yeah, they seem relevant, even. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So next week, we're going to be taking a quick break from SG-1 to talk about Stargate Infinity episodes 21 through 24. And as always, contact me if you have trouble finding that online. And so in two weeks, we'll be back with SG-1 season 4 episodes 10 and 11, Beneath the Surface and Point of No Return. Arzu, are you ready for your next quote from the next SG-1 episode? Yes! We have to keep this to ourselves. If the others heard us talking this way, they'd think we were night sick. I guess it's Sam. Something has happened. Night sick is a term they were introduced to by whatever planet they went to. Because it's not a thing. So it's a term that they have learned on this planet. It's something they're afraid of catching. Mm -hmm. Or not that they're actually afraid of catching, but that like the local populace thinks they are susceptible to. Mm Mm-hmm. I think she's talking to Jack and they're planning a way to get out. Okay. We'll find out in two weeks if you're right. That's it for today. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we'd love for you to rate us five stars wherever you can. If you want to talk to us about Stargate, you can currently find us on our podcast Twitter and Tumblr page <laughs> at Wormo Waffles. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Chelsea Fairless. Arzu, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at ArzuAmin. I'm at ArzuD2 everywhere else. So that's Instagram, Tumblr, threads. I don't remember what I am on Blue Sky. I'm either at ArzuAmin or at ArzuD2. But if you search ArzuD2, you'll find me. As for the Geeky Waffle, we are on Twitter at Geeky underscore Waffle. We are the Geeky Waffle on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr. We are the Geeky Waffle on YouTube. We're at thegeekywaffle.com. And we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash thegeekywaffle. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you on the other side of the event horizon.